I wanted to tell you what I have learned being your pastor for the last 15 years, the, the takeaway for me. It is this, God can be trusted. He'll never fail us. He'll never let us down. He'll never be without power for what we need or provision for what we need. He's always present. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. His well of mercy will never run dry. His love won't be too little. It'll be more than you ever dreamed. God can and should be trusted. How do I know that? God has a track record. My first day on the job was January the 2nd, 2008. Uh, I'd come to uh, start this church, but at the time we had, you know, no name, no place to meet, and the worst part was no people. And I had moved in with my parents, Rachel and I with our two little girls moved with my parents, which I don't recommend. Uh, I don't recommend you moving in my parents, it was good for me. Uh, but I walked out of the back door of their house to start that first day, and here's what I learned. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Our first challenge was we couldn't find a place to meet. It was really hard to find a place, you know, to, to, to find, a, you know, where we could gather as a church. So we tried everything. Our first worship service was in Mundy Park up on top of the hill under a little pavilion. Uh, we met at the Holiday Inn, the Quality Inn, the Hampton Inn. We would have met at your house if you'd let us in. You know, it's just like we would go anywhere. But I couldn't find a place to meet. Month after month, we were moving around from different place to different place. And then finally, I heard that a new gymnasium had been built at Stoner Creek Elementary, named in honor of their founding principal, Phyllis Robinson, who's become one of the most faithful members of our church. But at the time, I went to meet with her, and I said, Miss Robinson, uh, we're starting a new church. Would, would we be able to meet in the brand new gymnasium? And she gave us our first big yes. But she said, she stopped me, she said, there's one problem. She said, I'm retiring. And I said, when? And she said, next week. <laughs> and, I, and she said, so you'll actually have to also get the permission of the new principal. And I was like, well, where are they at? And she said, just down the hall. My, her assistant principal, Kathy Stivender. And so I walked down the hall and I went into her office. And I said, Ms. Stivender, my name is Jacob Armstrong. We're starting a new church. And I was wondering, and she, she stopped me and she said, oh, I know who you are. She said, my daughter's first date was with your older brother. And I said, it's nice to meet you. Uh, That's good. You know, win some, you lose some. No, my brother's a great dude. Everything. She said yes. And, and we began to meet at Stoner Creek Elementary for four years. And what we learned at Stoner Creek Elementary was God can be trusted. But it was a, only a short time after that. Some of you all remember our church had our first tragedy. Two of our students. We didn't even have a youth group. But two students, seniors in high school at Wilson Central High School, Michael and Doug, had a terrible car accident out on Central Pike. They were life flighted to Vanderbilt. It was my first in the middle of the night phone call, James, as a pastor, to go and drive down and sit with a family. And Doug's neck was broken. It was a terrible situation. I was actually there when the doctor told his family that he would never walk again. And our little baby church, meeting at Stoner Creek, we prayed for that boy. And we prayed for him. He went to a place called the Shepherd Center in Atlanta, a spinal place. And um, they didn't tell me, but something happened. And Doug began to walk again. And they brought him to the church in the middle of the service at Stoner Creek, he interrupted my sermon <laughs> and walked in the back. And what happened, you can see, that's his aunt and uncle, his guardians, but on the other side, you can see the church stood and cheered. And something happened to our little church that day, brand new, we began to believe that God could do anything. This was our first miracle, but it hasn't been our last miracle. 
And we learned with those boys that God can be trusted. It was just a few months after that, I was in the little lobby of the gym there, and there was these two uh, folks who just moved to Lake Providence at Del Webb, and they'd come to our church, and they introduced themselves to me, and they said, Jacob, we'd like to meet with you this week. We have a gift we'd like to give for the building project. Well, what I didn't tell them is we didn't have a building project, <laughs> you know. I just said, okay, I'll see you in the morning. And I did. I showed up at their house the next morning. I knocked on the door, and they invited me in. They gave me a cup of coffee. And as they handed me the cup of coffee, I sat down on their couch, and they also handed me a check for $100,000. And there's a coffee stain there that commemorates the, uh, the historic <laughs> moment. But what they did is they gave a seed for something that they could not see yet. We had just, we were thrilled to have Stoner Creek Elementary, and here they were believing. And that $100,000 was the down payment for this 23 acres that you sit on today, that our little church within a year paid off $900,000 more. I don't know how it happened except to say that God can be trusted. Uh, shortly after that, our church, um, there's always been these movements of the Spirit, and one of them was that we felt convinced that we were supposed to serve and give in extravagant ways beyond ourselves before we ever built a building. That's why we met in schools for almost nine years. And one of the first places we felt called to was this little area of northern Nicaragua, and some of us went there, and I sat down by this creek there, and this may sound crazy, but I heard God speak to me down by that creek, and he said, you need to go back to the church and ask them for the money to build a well for clean water for these people. You see the women there carry on buckets on their shoulders this water, but uh, it, it, it was uh, children were getting sick and children even die, and it was a terrible situation. And so I said, okay, God, I'll do that. But uh, I went and asked somebody, how much is a well? And they said, it's $10,000, which doesn't sound like a lot now, but it felt like a lot then. And so on the plane flight home, I came up with a plan for how we could get that $10,000. Here's the plan. I've, I determined that if everybody that came to church that Sunday would just give what they were going to spend on lunch that day, we'd have around $10,000. Sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? That's not what God asked me to do. And so as I was walking up to the stage, we were in West Wilson Middle School by that time, I was walking up to the stage, I heard God in my spirit say to me, do not share your plan. <laughs> and I said, well, it's a good plan. I'm almost certain that it'll work. And I thought, well, what did God ask me to do? God asked me to ask for $10,000. And so as we were getting ready for communion, I just asked for $10,000, and I went and stood over by the wildcat underneath the basketball goal in the gym, and this dude came up and put $10,000 in my hand on a check. And I thought, if I had shared my plan, he would have given me eight bucks. <laughs> and God began to expand the way we thought about asks before God and what God can do. And some of you around then, that man's gift began a ripple effect in our church that before the end of a few weeks, there had been $100,000 that had come in. And now I'm here to tell you that there are hundreds and thousands of people. Now, 97% of the people in northern Nicaragua have access to clean water because we believed in this miracle. <laughs> and, and so now there are kids that aren't going to the creek, right? They have... So many of you have been there, you've seen it. They have faucets in their yard and in their, in their homes, and, and children who are dying of diarrhea are now thriving. I've seen it with my own eyes. And girls who would have spent their whole life not going to school carrying water are putting on uniforms and going to school and being educated and becoming leaders in their community. And mothers and wives who would spend the day at the creek are now at home raising healthy babies <laughs> because God can be trusted. 
a young woman approached me around that same time. Her name is Tana Clark. She was a stay-at-home mom here in Providence. And she said, Pastor Jacob, you know, we've been talking about all these crazy things that God can do. She says, I feel like God's calling me to start a school in Haiti. And I said, well, Tana, that sounds crazy. And you know what she did? She started a school in Haiti. And she did all the work, her and her husband, Chad, and, and then eventually the, you all began to sponsor kids, and then some of you went there and began to build the school, and then in a Christmas offering, you provided the money that would build the, build the school building. In 2017, Tana's husband, Chad, died of cancer. He's one of my dear friends. And one of the last things he did is he spoke to a man in our church named Jay Simmons who came to visit him. He said, Jay, I need you to make sure that the school stays strong. Jay's back there running the cameras this morning, but he's also the executive director of Grace and Glory School, a place that's feeding and educating 300 kids today because of that dream. And our kids know the names of these children, and God can be trusted. Allison Vines was our first staff person here, our longest tenured uh, staff person, and she came to me eight or nine years ago, and she says, I believe that God's put on our heart a dream to have something here at the church that's not on Sunday morning for people who are just hurting, whose lives are, are, are their hearts are, are breaking. And so she started this thing called Care Night, which starts its eighth year uh, next month in October. And at Care Night, you'll find people, you'll find parents of addicted children, and you'll find folks folks who um, are, are family members of those with mental illness and people who are going through cancer and family members who are caring for people with cancer and folks who are uh, going through divorce and grieving people and, and on and on. If you walk in on a Tuesday night to care night, you're able to just say, I'm not doing okay. Everything's not perfect. And you get a warm meal and you sit with other people and something happens there. And it's run by many of the Christian counselors that you saw in the video who love these people in our community. There's a place where they can come. And what we've seen there is that God can be trusted. You see, deep, deep in the heart of God is this desire that lost things will be found. And I think one of the big problems in our world right now is people don't understand the true nature of the heart of God. And I get it because of the things we go through and the things that we walk through. We think this God does not seem trustworthy. This God will let me down, but it's not true. And it's the church's job to share the voice that actually the deep desire of the heart of God is that lost things would be found. You see, God wants hungry people to be fed and God wants thirsty people to have drinks and God wants sinners to be forgiven and God wants lost sons daughters to come home. Jesus tried to get this message across, and one of the ways he did it was by sharing stories, one of them the story that Piper shared with us this morning. It's the story of a father who has two sons, and the younger son comes to his dad, and he says, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance, and inheritance is something you get when your dad dies. So he was saying to his dad, you're dead to me, and the the dad amazingly gives him half of, of, of all that he's ever earned. The story says that the young man went off to a far distant country and he squandered his father's wealth in wild living. It was just a short period of time and it was all gone. A famine had struck the land and the young boy finds himself living out in the fields, taking care of some other guy's pigs. But he says, I don't even get to eat what the pigs are eating. And so he has this moment, uh, the Jesus story says, when he came to his senses, what does that mean? He, what he could smell, what he could see, what he could hear. He came to his senses and he began to rehearse a speech to go back and, and see if his father would take him back. Anybody ever rehearsed a speech before he went back to mom or dad? Right, that's what he did. Here's his speech. We have it written down. He said, I, he said Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but if you will let me, I will be one of your hired hands out in the field. So he rehearsed the story and he rehearsed the story. And so he began walking home. He's rehearsing the speech, rehearsing the speech. And the story says that while he was a long way off, the father saw him. So the father had been looking to the horizon. The father woke up and wondered, is this the day my son will come home? The father woke up and wondered, is my son still alive? And it says, when the father saw the son on the horizon, he ran to him and he wrapped his arms around him and he kissed his still dirty from the pigsty face and the son does what her speech father i have sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but he never got to the point of saying can i be one of your hired hands why his dad cut him off his dad hand over the mouth he said put my robe on my son Get my ring, the ring that has the family seal on it. Put it on his finger, my shoes, his feet. He said, kill the fattened calf. They're like, sir, we've been saving the fattened calf for the celebration next month. He said, kill the fattened calf. We're partying today. My son who was dead, he's alive. My son who was lost, I found him. I found him. And they start throwing a party on the farm. Well, I don't know if you remember, but there's two sons. The other older son was working out in the fields and he was walking back after his long day of work and he looks up on the hill where the house is and he can tell that there's a big party taking place. He asked one of the servants, what's going on up there? And they said, you didn't hear? Your brother came home. And the older brother stops and he refuses to go in. You see, the older son didn't leave. He didn't mess up. He didn't squander. He didn't break his dad's heart. And now they're throwing a party. And guess who came out to see the older son? Same dad. Same dad who went after the younger son, came after the older son, put his arm around him, and the son, the older son, had to say his piece, right? Dad, I've never done anything against you. I've never squandered our wealth. And he said, and now your son who squandered your inheritance on prostitutes, you're throwing a party. You never even gave me a goat for me and my friends to celebrate. And they look in, you know, they look into the party and there's his, his younger brothers in there partying, right? Dancing, whipping the nay-nay, wobbling, whatever. I don't know, I don't know. But he's a, he's a goofball, right? His goofball younger brother is in there just partying it away. And his dad says, this is very important to the church, okay? This is very important if you, if you come to church. The dad says to the older son, everything I have is yours. All this, it's, it's yours, it's always yours. You know, he says, it's, it's yours. He says, but what you're missing is your brother was dead and now he's dancing. Your brother was lost, and we found him. And the father is teaching the heart of the older brother what, the, what his heart is like. His heart does not hold the grudge that he holds. He pours out his mercy, and he says, this is how it works. And it's a drastic, dramatic story that Jesus is telling to try to illustrate the heart of God to the people of God. Because we will so often, by default, stand with arms crossed the longer we've stayed home. 
And so Jesus is saying that's not how it works. It's not how the heart of God works. And in fact, the illustration he gives at the end of the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son is to say, in heaven, when one son comes home, everybody celebrates. (laughs) And so he gives this picture of eternity while we are in this life to say, what makes God party is when sons and daughters come home. And that's the dream of the church. That's the dream of this church, I promise you, even when we get it wrong. The dream of this church is that disconnected people, people who feel far away from God and far away from the church would come home. And then those of us who are in would be co-celebrators with God upon the redemption of the sons and daughters. We grow up, we mature in a way that we say, man, the best thing we can do is party because those folks came home. A year ago, I had a guy set up a meeting with me on a Monday afternoon. And he walked into the office and sat down in my office and and I said, well, tell me what's going on. He said, well, he said, I've just recently began the journey of recovery from alcoholism, just barely began it. And he said, one of my mentors has asked or said to me, suggested to me that I come and set up a meeting with you and that you'll tell me what I'm supposed to do next. And I was like, I don't know what you're supposed to do next. And he shared with me all the things. It sounded like he was taking all the right steps for recovery. And he said, I know. He said, but this guy told me that you would tell me what to do next. And I said, okay. I said, I want to invite you to our church. And he said, okay. He said, "Uh, there is one problem. He said, I don't believe in God. He said, I'm an atheist. Well, I've been inviting atheists to this church for 15 years. I was like, no problem, right? I said, you can still come. And you know what? That Sunday... He came. And do you know what y'all did? You loved him. You accepted him. You treated him like a brother and a son. You walked with him. Some people became best friends to him. Somebody invited him to care night, and he came. Somebody invited him to serve in hospitality. And so this joker's been serving you donuts for a year, you know? And two weeks ago, he and I were talking, and he said, I'm ready. He said, I'm ready to join the church. And I was like, you're already a part of the church. You're a part of the church. You're doing everything at the church. He said, I know, but he said, I see these folks come, and they want to, you know, they become covenant members. I want to be a covenant member of the church. I said, okay. I said, but to do that, you have to believe. And he said, how much? (laughs) And I told him how much that he had to affirm his belief in Jesus that day. And so two weeks ago, he stood with me right here in this service, and you guys cheered for him. My friend and my brother. You just let it rip like you do. We clapped and cheered, and he and I caught eyes. We were still talking about it days later. It's such an amazing feeling. You see, it doesn't take that much belief to come home And so the dream of this church is to see lost people come home, to open up our hearts 
wide and believe that God can do what God wants to do. You see, it's God's desire. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Do you think that we can hold back the desire of God? No. What God invites us to do is to be a part of it and to join in, to love and to befriend and to accept and to give and to go to faraway places and to to celebrate over and over and over again. And I believe, guys, that the former glory that we have seen in our last 15 years is just going to be a a tiny smidgen compared to the latter glory that God is going to put before this church. Because not because of us, because nothing can hold back the desire of God, that he desires all people to be saved. And so I'm going all in to give the rest of my life to being a part of what makes heaven party, (laughs) what makes the angels celebrate in heaven. God's saying, you don't have to live a tamped down life. You know, the last few years have kind of tamped us down and, and, and made our spirits lower. But the thing is with God, he's saying, rise up, church. Rise up with my mission and my vision. It's for your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren and the generations to come. He's saying, I'm not even wanting to just do it alone. I'm wanting to to do it with you. Would you join me in the mission of the church? And so what we're going to do this morning, you can feel like the sermon is almost over, right? I can feel it in my bones. It's time to stop. But what what I want us to do today on this significant day is to pray for more, more sons, more daughters, your sons, your daughters, to pray that God would do it again. So we, this is our first Sunday that we've had these kneelers down here. They've been custom made. They're beautiful. They're very soft places to pray. And we, have, we haven't needed that in our past. You know, we've knelt on this concrete a hundred times. We've knelt in gyms uh, around the, the county. We've knelt in our bedrooms. We've knelt in hospital rooms. But the thing is, we're getting a little older and I figured a little padding can't hurt, okay? So we got padding to pray. And we're gonna be a praying church. And, and what we're gonna do is, is not try to, start any programs or anything like that. We're just going to pray that God will pour out more of his spirit, more of his desire on us. And so um, would you come and break in these kneelers with the prayers for your sons and daughters? Would you thank him for what he's done in our midst and say, God, there's still more people who need to know, need to know that you love them. So I invite you. Here's what I've learned. God can be totally trusted. And so let's get on our knees and pray. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, I'll be right over there. We've had people uh, saying yes all morning. We're going to baptize uh, the heck out of people literally next week, all week. So um, I invite you uh, to come and pray.